0: Are we recording? Is this thing on? Yes, it is. Welcome to RevOps 500, where we invite the world's top marketers to answer the tough questions facing growing organizations. Oh, sounds important. I'm Sajil Qureshi. And I'm Gil Faye. Join us as we dive deep into the world of RevOps. We'll be learning strategies and expertise from first-hand experience. RevOps 500 is sponsored by CompuTank. They provide technical and development expertise in growth-focused marketing. Let's get started. Hey everybody, Sajil Kureshi here with another episode of RevOps 500, where we interview the world's greatest B2B marketers and RevOps experts that there are. Today we have an extremely special guest that I'm extremely excited to be talking with. She is a leader in global marketing, corporate ventures, sales and strategy. She's a veteran in all those things. She specializes in public speaking, which should help here to help help me here today, because I'm not very good at that. Uh, she's a, an award-winning business development professional, and yeah, she's a dedicated and brilliant marketer. Right now, she's the VP of Marketing at Cloverly. Kelly Grover, Grover, welcome to RevOps 500.
1: Awesome. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here.
0: Great. So yeah, Kelly, let's just jump right in, okay? So uh, what is one RevOps myth that you can share with our audience?
1: Yeah, I was thinking about this, right? Coming into the call and, and wanted to make sure that it was something that would resonate with the listeners and... My biggest myth is it's not about data. It's about growth, right? I think RevOps just inherently, of course, there's numbers and spreadsheets. There's no way that you're going to be a talented RevOps person without having all of those tools. But that's the how, it's not the why. The why is all about driving growth, top line growth, bottom line growth. And really, I, in my opinion, the spirit of it is to work hard smarter not harder Um, but until you really unpack and understand all of the different ways that the company makes money at all different stages of the customer journey you're likely missing things you have blind spots and you're likely investing resources human capital financial otherwise in areas where the roi might not be there at all or the roi could be higher if you could pick those resources up in place them someplace else. So that would be my myth.
0: That's such an interesting point. So I mean, most of the time you hear RevOps people talk about the top line growth. Oh, we're growing sales, we're generating interest. You said bottom line growth, which makes me think of like after costs, like net profit. You know, how does how does RevOps or I guess marketing? I mean most marketers and accountants, I mean they're they're kind of, you know, they're like this. I mean, but you know, h- how do you how how does RevOps go into the bottom line growth? I mean, that's, that's a new one.
1: So, I mean, I think there's probably a lot of different ways you can answer it. I'll give you kind of a couple of examples from my personal experience. Um, I think looking at lifetime value CAC ratio is a really good example, right. And thinking about, okay, our overall goal is to get somebody in the door and to convert them and then to grow their lifetime value. I think that's pretty clear, but to the ability that we can impact that value and drive volume, that's one lever. And then the money that we spend to bring them in the door is another lever. And I think most companies probably have a very generalized view of CAC LTV, but sometimes you've got a very diverse customer base, customer journey, average order value. And so this is a fantastic example of where the devil's in the details. If you have the same go-to-market strategy and CAC across different types of business models where the AOV is wildly different, you might be in the red. By the time you pull that all wow. the way through, right, like you spent more money to bring somebody in the door, then the data is telling you that they'll pay you back in, you know, let's call it a three-year lifetime value. And so... This is why, you know, when we go back to the myth question, it's all about growth. It's not really about the numbers. This is a fantastic example, right? The numbers and peeling them and making sure that they actually reflect the reality of your business. That is numbers, it's spreadsheets, but the why behind it is all about maximizing where you place your resources. So I would say that is actually a real life example. I've I've done that in a couple of different instances where we did just have, It wasn't bad variability, but it was real variability with different types of customers and their AOV and their own customer journey where, again, when we generalized it, it almost was useless information because it it basically um, kind of peanut buttered over all of the details and the nuances that actually that's the good stuff, right? That's what you're going to action on. Um, So yeah, I think that's actually a really good example of both the top and bottom line growth.
0: So you have customer acquisition costs, and most businesses have different segments of revenue, like the revenue mix might not just be one type of customer. You know, to use like a, a, an example, McDonald's or a burger joint, you know, this so it was any company name, a burger joint will sell French fries and milkshakes and burgers, and the customer acquisition cost on a burger will be different than a milkshake, and the margin will be different. And of course, if you factor all those things in together, then you can get like kind of like a a true picture of which, which, which customers are, are more valuable than other ones. And if you, you say you're peanut buttering it over with just saying, Oh, we grew revenue by X percent, but you're really not looking at the different segments, which is a really interesting way of, of looking at it. You know, I've, I've never, never heard something like that before. I mean, that's a very profound, I mean, way to, way to see it from a bottom line perspective you know, you have. Yeah. You can say, Oh, we grew by this much, but what actually grew? I mean, every, every, most companies have segments of, products, customers, whatever. So that's a really interesting way of looking at it.
1: I will say some of it is is selfish, kind of, you know, looking through the marketing lens. I don't know if I've ever met a marketer or any business person that feels like they have enough money, right? We're always balancing how much do you have and what are you looking to get from it? And really like that has actually been a really lovely side effect of these conversations, right? Because we have that CAC, right? Which is a function of your go-to-market budget. By doing exercises like this, it becomes visible, which I think it really should be, right? We should all understand collectively, what are we doing? What are we spending? But then as we start unpacking this and looking at the ROI, it makes it a heck of a lot easier to have a prioritization conversation. And so for marketers, like we tend to get a lot of requests, we should do this, we should do this. Can you make me this and that? And for the most part, we want to say yes to everything, right? Like we're as jazzed and excited and and want to be superheroes to our colleagues, you know, as much as they need us to be. But when you have this type of conversation, it becomes less about like, well, who am I going to disappoint or please today? And it's more, we've collectively decided this is where we place our bets. And so when I lean towards those high priority items, there's no other context needed. You already know I'm not ignoring you in favor of you or saying no and, or any of that other sometimes toxic, toxic yeah. undercurrent. We've already aligned on what the priorities are. And so one, it's just efficient. But again, two, it just makes, I think, for a much more cohesive, collaborative, go-to-market strategy across the different teams.
0: I mean, that's like a, a, like I said, it's, it's a really unique and interesting perspective. I mean, and when, when you, when you, when you pitch it that way, I, I feel like, I feel like a, like finance or accounting would really appreciate that kind of, um, that kind of way of looking at it. It's almost like an activity-based cost accounting model of how to, of how, of how to manage customer acquisition or, you know, over, over a go-to-market strategy. Now, when, when you, when you, I'm guessing this is this is your style of, of when you're when you're when you're when you're just working at Cloverly, right? So I mean, like, is 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 this kind of, I mean, what is what is accounting's usual response to when they hear stuff like this, and how you're how you're you're prioritizing budgets, numbers, and those things on the bottom line? How how do they respond to them? Yeah,
1: I would say a couple of things. So you know, kind of wearing my marketing hat, you know, one things that we think about as marketers when we're approaching our customers is. We don't use our language, we use their language, right? But I think there's lessons in that that we could and should be applying to our internal stakeholders, right? And so I think finance is a good example, but there's probably others as well where I wanna be extremely fiscally responsible. And I am, I'm, I'm kind of nuts when it comes to my budget. Clearly I lean heavy into rev ops and data governance and things like that. Part of it is, so I'm talking in their language, Part of it is building a foundation of trust. If you know I'm fiscally responsible, then when I come to you with an ask or an investment, one, you know, it's researched. Two, I've already proven the ROI. And three, you know, it means something because just as often I'm taking things off of my list because now again, we've got this rich data that's telling me, you know what? like It would be super cool to do this thing over here but the data just doesn't justify the ROI, right? And so I try to be really transparent and over-communicate when I toggle within my budget so folks see not just when I go up, but just as often when we come down and the lie behind it. And again, it's kind of in the spirit of creating this common language so that we're making making decisions and trade-offs
0: collectively. I mean, that is that is a finance finance department's dream right <laughs> they they would love to they love to hear that i like how you're saying you know you'd meet people where they are so to speak so i mean what, switching gears a little bit like what what if what keeps what keeps you up at night technically in in RevOps? i know you know we talked about the spreadsheets and the data that's part of it and growth is the other part of it is it the growth side that would keep you up at night if we're hitting targets or is it more like the actual in the in the in the you know in in the trenches? Uh, data spreadsheet getting things in and out technically that would that would ever keep a strategic revops person like yourself up at night well what, what would what would it be
1: I think the answer depends on kind of where you are in your maturity curve right and so okay. like when you first start diving into revops and data governance the problems that you have on day 1 certainly shouldn't be the same problems that you have on day 100 right that's the whole purpose is you're constantly evolving Absolutely. and so you know i yeah. i have maybe different nightmares depending on where i am <laughs> Hopefully not many, many. Um, but I would say a lot of it is the story behind the data because it feels much more the rule than the exception that there's what you're going to see in the first 10 seconds of looking at a graph or a number or whatever's on the slide before you. But then there's the other context in the story and really making sure people don't just see the number or the graph, they hear the story. Because sometimes they can be wildly different, right? Your immediate gut reaction could actually be the absolute wrong gut reaction. And so, constantly making sure, again, that we bring folks enough into the fold so that we avoid potential, you know, really disasters like that, but making it engaging enough so that, like, it's like, hey, I'm gonna tell you a data story, folks don't, you know, glaze over and and fall asleep because these are really critical conversations, but I I have definitely had, I can't even tell you how many instances where it's like, I'm gonna show you a slide and then I almost need you to forget about it for a minute because I need to almost give you like the decoder ring or the Rosetta Stone, right? Here's how you use this data because it might not be in the way that you think. And so that I would say is probably the most evergreen problem that I'm not sure ever completely goes away because you're going to solution along the way and you're going to create a common language, but the depth of the data that you end up using, that's only going to get richer and richer and richer. So there's always going to be this element of make sure the story, the take home message, the action that's going to come out of that is crystal clear.
0: So how, how do you make that crystal clear? I mean, like, you know, the, the data will say one thing, obviously, even when you go into A CRM or a reporting system or analytics tools on a website or, you know, whatever sales numbers, estimates, quotes, whatever. It'll have graphs it'll say, oh, you know, you can even for oh we you know this got x three hundred percent growth or whatever it is. But how do you actually, how do you actually tell that story? I mean, does it is it it like is like a narrative? Is it is it in layman terms for people who are not you know RevOps savvy? How do you tell the story?
1: Yeah, I would say. Kind of two best practices, and not that that's an exhaustive list, but anybody for any story, if you think you say it once and you're done, you're just lying to yourself, right? Like some of this is an ongoing cadence of dripping information to folks. I also try to be really honest about I'm going to tell you something that doesn't seem logical. So it's almost again, kind of wearing my marketer's hat, like be disruptive, catch their attention, let them know this isn't what you're expecting sit up, pay attention, right? This is something that impacts everybody. So kind of just setting, let's say the urgency factor really upfront with folks. And then the other thing I do is for almost any data point, there's other folks involved outside of marketing. And so what I'll typically do is if we have something big, right, that feels like it could be an inflection point or impactful, I'll connect with that other peer ahead of a meeting and say, hey, one, As a courtesy, I kind of found this. Let's unpack it together. Two, let's kind of pre-align on what the story is, what the action plan is. And so when we go in, I've got a champion with me, right? It isn't marketing, kind of waving our hands like chicken little, saying, like, hey, you know, the building's burning down. It's me plus whomever that other person is kind of coming in together. Obviously it lends credibility. It also means that we're probably further down the path to a proposed solution, which is which is great anyway. So I think if you do those two things, it gives you a leg up on communicating.
0: yeah, it makes sense again and it comes back to what you were doing earlier with the finance example right Of just kind of you said putting your marketing hat on and just you know talking messaging to who you're know who knowing who your audience is and that makes sense makes a lot of sense so I mean, let's let's talk about the future of revOps a little bit. where Where do you think where do you think all of this is heading? I mean, it's a kind of a people say it's a new industry, maybe a new buzzword. But where do you think all of this is heading?
1: I think I think it's kind of air quotes new, right? but i I think it's in keeping with a lot of other trends. And so, Things like you're seeing a lot of titles that span the different traditional departments, right? So you'll see RevOps is certainly a good example, but you'll also see Chief Revenue Officer, Chief Commercial Officer, right? It's not sales. It's not marketing. It's not customer success. It spans all of these, and I think that's a good indication. Um other things like go to market as opposed to marketing, as opposed to sales, as opposed to CS, I think that's another indicator of this trend. But I think the the undercurrent kind of underneath all of it is so much of this is a machine. And I, I don't mean that analogy to remove the human element because obviously that's critical, but it's a machine in the sense that it's your tech stack. It's the data that you put into it. It's the SOPs around which you manipulate. It's how much you can refine your ICP and your TAM and the intent signal. So there's so much science, maybe that's a better word. There's a science to it that it just simply doesn't make any sense for marketing to work in a silo, sales work in a silo. All of this is integrated. It's just whether you believe it yet or not, right? It it is the reality, the customer journey. If you map it out, Everybody has a role at every single stage. It's going to ebb and flow on who's kind of the primary versus secondary, but we're all there. And so I think going back to RepOps, it's a good example where it forces you to have a single point of truth, to have one funnel, one customer journey, not that you can't then break it out into, okay, well, here's marketing ops and here's sales ops, or here's marketing's role in the customer journey, here's sales role in the customer journey but that's secondary to that single point of truth. And so to me like that is the trend um, and it's hard to envision that ever going away because i think that science that machine analogy that engine that's only going to continue to refine.
0: So you you're basically saying that you're going to see a tighter alignment of sales and marketing with a with a revops sort of division in a in a in a business or organization that's kind of the knot that ties these two things together, is that is that kind of what it what it looks like? Or,
1: yeah, I think that's a, a good summary, right? And um, you know, I've seen RevOps report into different folks at different companies. I honestly don't know that there's a right or wrong answer. I think it's the spirit in which you come to it, um, sure. and just making it really clear that that person owns the source of truth across all go to market departments.
0: God, I mean, like this is it's all very you know interesting. It's an interesting perspective on on where things are and where they're where they're going. I mean, so let, let's let's go back a little bit. So I mean, you know, take me back to when you know, when you started your career. I mean, how how did you get to this point? I mean, what was what was that journey? What was that journey like for for you, Kelly?
1: Yeah, so I've actually been fortunate that I've worn a lot of different hats and and sometimes there's a path that you plan and then there's the path that just kind of happens. And and I'm really fortunate that the path that happened actually put me in, I think probably every different go-to-market role. I've been in sales, I've been in business development, I've been in channel strategy, new ventures, I've managed inside sales teams, clearly I'm in marketing. Um, And so because of that, I think I've seen all of those different perspectives I've created you know, incentive plans and KPIs for all of these different teams. And so I've thought about it from those different angles. And then I would say the other part of me is just I'm incredibly competitive. And when I think about like anybody being reduced to a number, I'm like, all right, I can be okay with that. I can be okay with me being kind of an avatar for this KPI, but that KPI has to be really clean, right? I don't want that kind of muddying. The work that went into it, telling the wrong story, or take myself out of it, that number to misrepresent potential opportunities for the company, right? And so, you know, as I kind of became more senior and those KPIs became more important, I became just increasingly diligent about like, well, gosh, if this is the stuff that we spend our collective executive conversations around, if we have a very expensive meeting with very expensive people we look at five numbers and I know in the back of my mind, well, oh, gosh, that didn't really tell us anything. Man, I'm not okay with that because there's just such an opportunity to, to do more, do better or whatever. Um, and then I think going back to an earlier comment, some of it was around budget resources and just out of necessity a little bit, right? Like, hey, I don't, I don't ever want to be the bad guy. We're partners in this. Let's really unpack and almost pretend like it's our collective bucket, it's our collective cac. And if we could spread all of those puzzle pieces out on a table, how would we put them together? And by working through some of those exercises, you start to surface the issues. And so it almost is like this forcing function that brings you back to RevOps. And it's like, shoot, I don't have the answer to this. Let's unpack that. Let's come up with a report. Let's come up with SOPs. And so it just ends up being kind of this progressively valuable feedback loop
0: if that makes sense it does it, it it really does and you know you you talked about you know not talked about you know you've always been very very competitive i think you know to, to wear as many hats as you have i mean you have you have to be intense and be willing to push push the envelope you know professionally in different ways and so when when you when you say that when you get into like a room with executives and they're all saying well Okay, you know, Kelly, what's the what's what's the what's the traffic on the website like, or how how many what's the pipeline looking like now versus last year? But I mean, they don't want to know about the story or whatever. But when obviously now, I mean, you can probably get you can probably get their attention because you know you you have that presence in the room. But when you were younger or earlier in your career, did did you all you, you? I'm guessing you are always competitive. So how did that make you feel if you were just kind of saying, "Oh, Kelly's owning content," or "Kelly's got a quota." You know, how does how, how do how do how did how did the earlier version of you handle, handle all that stuff? What would you tell that yeah. person if you could? <laughs> I think,
1: and I think this is actually a good lesson for anybody, regardless of where you are in your career, some of the stuff that ends up getting orphaned could be an incredible opportunity. And so don't feel negative like, well, gosh, we don't have this report or I don't have this data piece or no one seems to be paying attention to this. You pay attention to it. And then when something comes of that, you're not just an individual contributor anymore. You're thinking strategically in the conversations that you'll have along the way, like when you want a piece of data and maybe you don't have it and now you're going to the CFO. Would you have had a conversation with the CFO otherwise? Maybe, but now you know you're having one, right? And the whole premise of it is around driving profit for the company That's huge. And so I do think, you know, it's really easy to be like, gosh, other companies must have this all nailed and and shave on us, right? That our data isn't perfect. That's crazy. No one has it perfect, right? We're all on this constant evolution of refinement. But for those areas where it isn't perfect, if you become the solutioner, it just changes your impact on the company and you're going to end up asking questions and having conversations that I think put you at a whole other level. The one caution I would say is you can't do it all at once and you can't overwhelm folks with just an extreme amount of data. And so I think give yourself some grace, do some internal refinements of the data and maybe hit folks with one or two key takeaways at a time, things that are pretty easily actionable so they can start to see the value in this deeper dive, then you can kind of progressively go bigger. But if your first Comment out of the gate is it's all broken. We got to blow up everything. Then I think you've lost them before you even begin.
0: I mean, so yeah, being a solutioner and and giving almost like a trailer before hitting them with a the whole movie is a pretty, okay. pretty, pretty good way of 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 you know showing you know str- you know your your ownership in the company or or your care over over your your numbers, your data. I mean, I'm I'm just very curious. I'm like, where, where did this obsession come from I mean with with that with that sort of being that particular I mean was there like a mentor or some sort of trigger in you that said you know I've got to I've got to be the solutioner for a particular statistic or a particular problem that I'm seeing was that always the case I mean how how did that how did that come about
1: so kind of going back to kind of the chronological order of my career. I actually started in sales, moved into, you know, really sophisticated kind of biz dev channel marketing and then ended in, in true marketing. And part of that is I felt like, okay, I'm in sales. I've got kind of this sphere of influence, right? Like the messaging, the positioning, all of that's handed to me. And I just have to execute to the best of my ability. Great, right? I can control this piece of the puzzle. And I was fortunate to be in circumstances where I could flex a little bit upstream and be like, gosh, I, I uncovered this new positioning or hey, have we ever tried this? Let's try it. And then I saw kind of that sphere of influence go like this. And then eventually it just kind of became this progressive going upstream is kind of how I would describe it, right? Where at the marketing level, um, you know, depending on the company and, and the person themselves, but you've got such an ability to influence and have such an impact on the trajectory of the company. And so I think, you know, part of the answer to your question is just kind of that constantly going upstream and thinking like, okay, I've got five tools in my toolkit. I'll only be as successful as, is the five tools that I have. But if I flex a little bit upstream, now I go 10 tools and gosh, that unlocks all of these things. And then again, up and up. Um, and a lot of it too is really, I I aim to be a really good peer and partner to my colleagues. And especially, you know, the partnership with marketing and sales is just, it's a non-negotiable. And I've been extremely fortunate that I've had some incredible partners along the way where they were willing to get in the trenches with me. And, you know, I'd kind of say, like, hey, I'm not going to always pull you into the weeds, but I'm doing it today. Here's why. Come with me on this journey. And what's really incredible is. I've had more than one time where a sales colleague has given up an FTE to marketing because like when we step back and it was like, gosh, we need more, we need to get more prospecting. How can we get more prospecting? And then we think like, okay, well, we could do this, this, or this. If sales does it, it costs this much money and we can expect to get this ROI. Marketing could do it using this lever for this much money with this ROI. And then kind of viewing it through the lens of, you know, what's our strategy? Is it inbound? Is it ABM? Is this in keeping with that overarching strategy? Again, like the conversation almost happens for you because the data and the strategy is guiding the way. And so, again, it's kind of like necessity is the mother of invention. If you want to get to those level of conversations, you have to have the data to support
0: it. And that goes back to what you said at the beginning: data or a growth over data, right? Where you say, you know, you if you know, sales and marketing getting them to buy in on anything is very, very difficult. Let alone transferring a full-time employee over. I mean, you know, if, if you have but you have the data, say, so okay, we need more prospecting. Sales does it cost 100x, and if marketing does it cost 90x, and here's the data right. to prove it. So you're using the data to, to prove how to get growth, and that's is that maybe why you're able to get buy-in from both of them to make that transaction happen, or?
1: yeah, because ultimately, our joint goal is what comes out the end of the funnel, right? How we get there is is, I don't want to say white noise, but it's all in service to that bottom number. So if we've got the data in front of us that is saying, like, hey, we can get to either a higher number or the same number, but cheaply, then like it's it's not even a conversation anymore. It's an action plan,
0: yeah. and then I, even i I think even most companies, they might not even have that that bottom line goal of okay, what is the goal? I mean, yeah, if the goal is revenue, then prospecting is obviously a function of, of revenue. But sometimes mm-hmm. the goal is maybe maybe it's not revenue, maybe it's something else, right? And then that becomes mm-hmm. harder to do, right? Because you know, <laughs> it's like if, if it's not growing revenue, maybe it's cutting costs this year or quarter, whatever it is. You know, even that becomes. But if you but if you still have the data to support the growth, or, or whatever or the growth, whatever the goal is the data will support it. And then that gets the, it sounds like what you're saying is that that gets the bind regardless of what the goal is. The data has to support the goal and then make it a function of the goal, I guess.
1: Yeah, like I, I agree with you. Like it can't be data for data's sake because that, that is boring, right? People will glaze over. Um, and I had somebody actually ask me once, we were going through kind of a data governance session and they were like, well, what's your, what's your hypothesis? What are you trying to prove? And I said, gosh, you know, I don't know yet it's a fair question, right? But that feels like the tail wagging the dog. I I want the data (laughs) to make something visible to us that otherwise wouldn't have been visible. And so I don't actually want to over-prescribe kind of, hey, I have to prove this because you can then kind of invent data, right, to prove. Like I kind of want to go in just as a, a blank slate and just start kind of slicing and dicing differently to see where it takes us, which. It was just a really interesting conversation with this individual because it was a perfectly fair question, and it kind of forced us to pause for a minute and be like, "Yeah, what is the goal? And is it okay that we don't have an answer quite yet? Maybe the journey
0: is more important than the destination." That is a a very very interesting, you know, I think I I think it's an interesting place for us to to pause because it 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 does keep the horizon open to you know to, to revenue being a goal, something else being a goal, but always having the data to support whatever the goal is. And then that helps you get buy-in on no matter what it is. Because you know, people are people. They'll disagree. They'll have their own motives, their own intentions of of achieving the goal. But if the data is there to support a conclusion, regardless of what it is, even if we don't know, I mean, it still makes it a whole lot easier. And then that does tie into RevOps and the myth that you started off at the beginning with. I mean, this has been a very uh, amazing conversation. I, I I didn't think it would get to a point where we'd be talking about Customer acquisition costs as a function of a bottom line buying from different types of people in the organization, uh, where data fits in. If you're just a number, how does how can you be competitive about that number? It was a, uh, it was educational. It was very very enlightening. You know, Kelly, I, I can't I can't thank you enough for uh, coming on and, and and jamming with me on this today. It was a, uh, it was a privilege.
1: No, this was super interesting. Maybe you know one other thought just to kind of leave you and, yeah. and any yeah. listeners with is. I think you actually touched on something really important, Sigil, and that was like, what if it's not revenue? Like, what if that isn't your goal? I think that's incredibly important. Name the strategy, right? ABM, account-based marketing, is a very different mechanism than inbound, which is different than outbound, which is different than product-led growth. And, you know, we could go on and on and on. But without kind of labeling what you're charging towards, it's actually quite a different Kind of data package right and so i just yes. wanted to kind of underline that because i actually think that's a critical piece of this conversation
0: yeah absolutely i mean the, the goal of, of rev ops or marketing doesn't have to be sales it could be it could be demand it could be you know awareness it could be it could be you know content eyeballs social media mm-hmm. you know there's lots of lots of lots of lots of potential goals but i mean this was yeah this was a very um, very very educational very very enlightening and uh, you well, know, Kelly, where can people find you? Where can they where can they learn more about you or Cloverly?
1: Sure. So certainly feel free to visit Cloverly.com. Um this company is amazing, especially if you're interested in climate action, sustainability. Um I could talk endlessly about that, just like Revop. So I would say definitely check out Cloverly.com. Certainly reach out to me on LinkedIn, Kelly Owen Grover. And then I also actually have my own website, which is just KellyOwenGrover.com.
0: We'll put those all in the comments for everybody to, to see. I would definitely recommend connecting with Kelly. You know, she has a very, very unique perspective on RevOps. It's not just the same, same old awareness, awareness, awareness. It is, it is about the data. It's a combination of everything. So uh, if you guys learned anything, please, you know, share, share with your, your, your friends, your colleagues. And Kelly, again, thank you so much for, for coming on. No, it was fun. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and this has been another exciting episode of RevOps 500, and we'll see everybody next time. Take care. And that wraps up another episode of RevOps 500. Thanks for joining. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at revops500.com. RevOps 500 is sponsored by Coffee providing technical and development expertise to growth-focused marketing.